All right. We ready? Let's do a countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. Another episode of the Record Shepherds. We hello, are hello. Here. We are joined. Well, let's not get to who we are joined by. We have uh, Danny, myself, and Jason, the the shepherds, if you will. And, hello, uh, hello, hello. How's everybody doing? Very well indeed. Very well indeed. Good we to see um, you guys. We're back in the studio for episode nine. Uh, nearly at 10, nearly at 10. So this is a significant episode because um, 10 is our first goal. And it's still the summer in New York City. It is hot outside and we've decided to turn off the AC in the studio for the first time in the summer. So could be uh, a hot little episode, this one. Spicy. 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 Exciting. <laughs> so for those of you watching on YouTube, and uh, please do go and follow us, subscribe on YouTube. You will see that once again, we have a new face on the couch. <laughs> She's waving. <laughs> and uh, yeah, today on the episode, we are joined by A&R publisher, Emmy Horikawa. Welcome, Emmy. Thank you, thank you. Very I, nice to be here. I'm very jealous of your your crisscross on the couch. Uh, something I, I should do. Is that something you work on? It's something you do when you have short legs. Oh, yeah, yeah <laughs> very my, comfortable. Yeah. My flexibility is absolutely awful. I've been watching some of these episodes back, and like me just trying to get comfortable on this couch is um, it's a it's an ongoing struggle. So I think maybe we'll do a, a segment of the show. We'll start doing yoga together. Um, <laughs> that who's, helps. Yeah, who's that, yeah. who's that YouTube yoga lady? Oh, there must Ooh. be loads uh, of them. I forget what her. No, yeah, but there's, there's a specific. There's yeah, a, there's a woman. Yeah, yoga with Jessica or something. Forgive me something, if that's not your. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. We gotta have her on the on the couch. <laughs> um, <laughs> certainly, certainly get her in the corner. Yeah, that would, I I could do with that. Honestly, a bit of uh, bit of yoga and uh, meditation. We need to get into the Zen before we jump into these Record Shepherd podcasts. So. Um, I'm all for that. We can look into that, Tim. Yeah. How was your weekend, Emmy? It was nice. Yeah. I Honestly, I don't... What did I do? Oh, I saw Thor this oh. weekend. I really enjoyed that. You, oh, you're the first one I've heard say that. Everyone has been destroying that really? movie. Really? I thought it was... I thought it had all the elements of like what was great about the last one. It was funny. There was action. Right. I, I enjoyed it. So the feedback that I've heard, not to make this a Marvel review episode, was that a lot of people have said... Since Endgame, they've sort of been lost in terms of like where they're going with with Marvel. There's no real like thing building up to it, so the movies haven't been, except for Shang Chi. I heard that one was amazing. I've seen it; it was amazing. But oh, interesting. I guess I don't think of it in those in that context. But I like this better. Like I really liked the first Doctor Strange, mm. and then this last one. I didn't think had the same quality that made the last one really great. Like I still enjoyed it, but I felt like the last Thor and this one was consistent, like in style and theme. And I enjoyed it. I, I'm, I'm a Thor fan. I haven't seen it. It just came out, no. so it's okay. Okay, that's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm still I'm still raving about Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> I heard there's a new Elvis movie too, right? Like Yeah, yeah that came out yeah. last weekend. It did really big numbers. When yeah. I saw the previews, I had zero interest in seeing it, but it people seem to really... Liked it. Do you know, so. growing up, um, I was always, you know, in terms of those icons of music that really changed the game, like I was very much into the Beatles, but I have to say it wasn't that I didn't like Elvis, but I just, it just, uh, maybe it didn't do it for me or maybe my dad didn't play enough Elvis, you know, so I didn't get exposed to it. But since I've come to the States, I've been to Graceland. I feel like continuing the song there, Simon Garfunkel. But um, <laughs> I've been to Graceland, and I also went to Tupelo in Mississippi, which was Elvis's birthplace. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Did the little um, tour. Like he had grew up in such a small little, probably like two rooms, two room in the countryside, and he had like a, a porch out the front and everything. It was so it was, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful setting, but very very small. I've essentially I've learned and come to understand and <clears throat> respect so much of what Elvis did and what he was about. And uh, if ever 
you get the opportunity to go to Graceland, go check it out. It is pretty amazing. I would I would definitely go if I was there. I wouldn't go necessarily out of my way. I don't feel <laughs> passionately about Elvis. Yeah, like, I, he's I'm, an I'm, icon. I'm, yeah, I'm on the same boat. But it's the, not my... Well, all I'm saying is my opinion changed. Sure. Having <clears throat> visited Graceland, so... And speaking of Elvis and music and an Elvis movie, I think this is a great segue into publishing. So maybe, Jason, you can describe why, why we have Emmy on. Why is this important? Yes, yeah, absolutely, Tim. So um, as I've already uh, alluded to, Emmy is an A&R, a publishing A&R at one of the major publishers. So Emmy is very experienced in the publishing game and uh, she will tell you a little bit more about her experience um, as we uh, talk further through the episode. But so far, you know, we've covered a lot of topics um, for you guys and one of the, we, we have talked and touched a little bit about publishing, specifically in our royalties episode, but just to give a little bit of a recap, um, especially for some of you who are very new to the music industry and the different rights involved, et cetera, et cetera. Traditionally, there are two sets of rights when we talk about um, recorded music, let's say. Um, you have the copyright in the actual recorded music itself, the sound recording, uh, or the master as it's commonly referred to. Um, and that's typically the world of record labels and artists, etc., and going into the studio and recording. Separately from that and its own uh, set of rights, uh, there's copyright in the underlying composition or the song. So. The world of publishing is, that's what we're here to talk about today, and that's what our Emmy's area of specialty is. So it's obviously, it's one of the it's very true things. You can't, there is no record industry without the publishing industry. There's, there is no record industry without the songwriters and the people who are actually composing the music and, um, you know, everything from the, the pop songs and the rock songs that we, we listen to hip-hop, uh, right the way through to composing for scores of films, etc., etc. So the genesis of music starts with the songwriting, and they are so important to the industry. Um, and I think like most of uh, you know, us, and I say us because I have written songs in my uh, previous life as a, as a budding musician, but... Um, you know, that's where it comes from, that the music comes from within and when we're sitting down and we're getting together and we have this dream to, to express music and, and write songs, that's that's the crux of it before you even go into the studio. So it's, uh, yeah, we're, we're honoured to have um, someone of Emmy's experience and calibre uh, with us and um, she's probably too modest to say so, so I will let you know that um, Emmy's clients include Tool, Corn, Ghost, Rise Against, and many, many more of uh, bands. I think fair to say you have a a personal, well, you, a slant towards that sort of rock genre because that is your area of interest. Um, yes, I, I primarily work with artists mm -hmm. and uh, producers who write. So in yeah, the rock space. In the rock space. But I think separately that, you know, we have to bear this in mind that a lot of what we're talking about today, uh, as Emmy says, is actually artists who write their own music, etc. But this also applies to songwriters who have no ambitions to be artists. They're purely songwriters and they, you know, don't necessarily perform their songs, etc. So all of this sort of will, will ring true. Um, yeah, uh, that's... Uh, great intro, Jason. And I think we can we can start with maybe the first question for Emmy. Just based off of that, can you maybe educate us on what the difference is between an A and R and the publishing side? Like, what is an A and R, and maybe the difference between like an A and R and the publishing side versus the recording side? Mm -hmm. What does A and R even stand for? Yeah, A and R stands for artist and repertoire. I don't know like the history of where that name came from, but basically, it's like a talent scout. Um, at the company that I work with, we don't even necessarily call it A&R, we call it creative, but it's, you know, the department 
where we work with songwriters, artists, producers, and create creative opportunities. Mm -hmm. So whether it's sessions for their project or writing with other artists or, you know, or writing for film and TV, that's kind of, in addition to, of course, like signing deals, that's my responsibility is the creative side, discovering yeah. new talent. What would you say, like, based off of that, per the percentage of, you know, I think it's, it's important, uh, that breakdown, because I feel like a lot of people, when they think about A&R, it's just scouting, right? They're not even incorporating, like, the session work that goes into it, like facilitating these events that create awesome songs. So what, what percentage of what you do is say split between like scouting versus actually like working to make the music and make sure like that's all situated. Hmm. Percentage is hard to say, but to I the guess. the nearest decimal point. 33.33. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, I think, you know, at the end of the day, I guess there's like, half of it, which is like the work and doing the research and signing the deals and um, the admin side, all those important things that like are the behind the scenes stuff. And then the other half of the job is, yeah, actually engaging the client, creating opportunities. And what that means for every client is totally different. And I think it's based on their needs and their goals. Um, but ideally it's 50-50. Mm. And I guess, you know, for people who do know a little bit about A&R and uh, but maybe don't work in the music industry, I guess, you know, you're right. A lot of people just initially think, oh, A&R, they're the people lurking in the back corners of darkened showrooms, you know, like uh, and they're the gatekeepers to whether you're going to get a deal. You know, on the record side, it's a record deal. And on the publishing side, it's going to be a publishing deal slash songwriting deal, and we will talk a little bit about those, but, um, you know, is that the case? You know, are you out there or are other A&Rs actually out there at shows, you know, sort of like seeing what's going on, looking for new talent or, um, or, or what other ways does, does new talent come to you? Um, I mean, of course, like, people probably aren't primarily finding new talent by just going to shows and doing it the old way. Obviously the internet exists now and social media and that's how I think most people are discovered these days. I mean, because I'm mostly working with artists and artists of the rock genre, to me, like the live side is still really important. And I like going to the shows and, you know, how something sounds on a recording versus what their abilities are on stage or just for me, like, even after I've signed a client, like, going to the show, I hear things and get inspired in ways that I don't experience from just listening to something on my computer. So, um, yeah, it's definitely not just shows. To me, it's important. But other people, that, other people who I know who work, do similar jobs, they don't care about, like, the live experience. It's not important. You know, they can get what they need from just the records or from whatever, you know, information that they have. So... I think it's a very personal process. Everyone has their own sort of uh, way of going about their work, I guess. Yeah, I don't think there's any right or wrong way. Like like with any creative process, it's just what works for you. Yes. Like you can't make art wrong, and I don't think you can, like, discover somebody or sign somebody. I mean, I guess maybe you can if the deal's really bad. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, that surprises me to hear... On the publishing side, that people, well, I guess on either side, really, that, you know, they wouldn't be as um, focused or wouldn't attach as much weight to the live. And, I, you know, like, well, I mean, for songwriters, I mean, not all, like we said, not all songwriters are artists. So obviously for songwriters, you can't necessarily go see them live. So largely, you know, maybe they just, you know, write or they produce. Producers, like, they don't perform live. No. So you can't experience that life. makes sense yeah. that makes sense yeah you would think for where it's the case of artists who are writing their own material etc it would be i would know, have thought very so important, but you know? the person that i'm thinking of he's an a r at a record label and to him he doesn't care name him but and shame him no name never him. <laughs> <laughs> no don't <laughs> um 
Yeah, well, um, that does give a little bit of, of an insight. So, um, you know, there'll be a lot of people, uh, our, our audience and, the, and, you know, as we keep talking about here on the Record Shepherds podcast, it's education through conversation and there'll be a lot of um, independent artists who are doing their thing and, uh, you know, they are at the stage where they are out there performing, let's say, and I guess it's good to know that there are there are people, you can get people along to shows, etc. Have you ever, you know, we're t- I guess we're talking about the internet, the internet exists now and it is such a great way of getting you know your music out there and getting in front of people you probably otherwise wouldn't have been able to get in front of you have you ever heard or have you personally been had people reach out to you that you have no clue who they are and either invite you along to a show i'm sure you've had countless demos sent to you but um what does that process look like nowadays on the on the the songwriting publishing side i mean it's definitely tough And I feel for people who are budding artists and songwriters and stuff to just kind of like reach out and to send an email to you. They don't, you know, I don't know them. They don't really know me and, you know, expect me to listen to their music and go to a show. Um, It almost never works that way. Mm -hmm. I think there are still some people who will take submissions and are willing to listen to it, but there is like, especially working in a big company, there's a level of liability where you don't, you just like actually can't listen to that stuff because, you know, that's how some of these copyright infringement cases have happened Mm. where somebody's, you know, they've heard a demo and suddenly it's in some released song and then they say that's how, so a lot of places aren't like legally allowed to accept them. Um, So I would say that's, you know, in, I guess you can try that way, but I think the level the success rate is really low getting in mm-hmm. touch with anybody that way. The way we mostly will and if will accept these kind of things or we'll have just people reach out is through managers or attorneys or references, you know, somebody that knows somebody, some kind of connection. So you kind of have somebody to vouch for it. Um, and of course, how you reach out to a manager, find a manager or an attorney or whatever. That's, I, I don't know. Maybe they're more willing to just listen to random demos that just appear in their inbox, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, don't do a lot of that. No. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, it makes total sense. And it's a good point you raise about the copyright infringement, like, um, as the, the demos, the, you know, the actual, where was the opportunity for, yeah, this music to be heard. And that is indeed <clears throat> something that uh, people have to be mindful of these days. So it makes total sense. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, maybe if we can uh, transition a bit to like the actual deals that you um, help negotiate or, you know, you're you're helping artists and the, the publisher through. What are, you know, as an artist, when I'm approached by a publisher or when I'm in negotiation with a publisher, what are what are the types of deals that I could expect to be, you know, uh, represented to me? I mean, I'm primarily dealing with co-pub or admin deals, but there are definitely different types of deals and in Nashville or in the UK or like in Japan, most publishing deals are single song deals, Mm. which I think is more common in Europe, but like you don't really see that very much here in Nashville. They do different kinds of deals where terms are only one year and it's, Somebody was telling me it's like a full co-pub where you actually are giving 100% of the copyright for a limited term as opposed to when I do a deal with a co-pub deal, it's a 50% copyright transfer. Um, so we're not we're not taking the writer's share. We're not taking, you know, we're only taking our piece of the publisher share. Um, so like I said, like it's different, you know, I guess mm-hmm. in city to city you are like, you know, the types of genres or artists or writers that you're working with, but I'm primarily doing like relatively straightforward co-pub or admin deals. Yeah. And let's, um, let me just shed a little bit of light there for, um, a lot of viewers who are brand new to publishing. A co-publishing deal is very common in the United States and it's essentially an arrangement where a songwriter 
will sign a deal with a music publisher like the one that Emmy works for and that in usually it will be in return for advances of royalties you're getting a lump sum of, of advances up front you you in return are agreeing to write exclusively for that company for that music publisher so any songs that you write during the term of that agreement um will be administered and, and not just administered but co-owned that's why it's a co-publishing deal you're, you're typically giving 50 percent of the ownership of those songs to the publisher often for the life of copyright um i don't think anymore not anymore yeah, that's, not that's anymore. Been changed okay i i don't think i've done a life of copyright deal yeah. maybe ever i think it's now that advances have decreased so much just kind of as the trend across the board i don't think anybody should be giving away life of copyright unless you're getting like a lot of money yeah okay so so that is and that's where a good attorney comes in actually so we were talking about you know when's a good time to get an attorney when it comes to negotiating agreements we said you know that are going to have a profound impact on your career that's the sort of thing a good attorney will do for you. But traditionally, it was for the life uh, of copyright. But uh, more recently, that has come down, um, to, you know, and the number of years that you're, you know, that the publisher will be administering your works exclusively varies. But that typically what we're talking about, yeah, they will... Um, well, actually, that's that's actually a good point because it does bring us on to the other type of agreement, which is very common, which is an administ publishing administration agreement. <clears throat> um, what I guess the question I want to ask you know, tell us a little bit about what does a publisher actually do for a songwriter? You know, what benefit is there to signing up with a publisher? You know, be it a co-publishing agreement or an administration agreement. Um, so all publishers offer intellectual property management. So administering the copyright. So the song that you write, the most important thing is the registrations, making sure that your copyright is registered around the world that it, because basically publishing, right? Like in any situation that music is used or, you know, paid for any scenario, publishing is involved. So whether you play live, whether it's on the radio, if it's streaming, if it's a ringtone, if somebody bought your CD, publishing's involved. So there's a lot of different income types and the rules for publishing differ, or excuse me, the rule for copyrights differs from country to country. So it's our job to kind of, to know all those rules and to make sure that if your music is out there being used, that people know how to pay you. So that's kind of like the baseline services that all publishers will offer. That's, that's really what publishing is. The additional stuff that somebody like myself brings to a deal is the creative services. Um, so there are some companies out there that are strictly administration. That's all they do. They don't offer any kind of sync creative you know, licensing. So if you want your music pitched for film TVs, some of those companies don't do that. Even if you got a sync request in and you needed somebody to negotiate it, even though they're administering your copyright, they won't do that. You'll have to handle all those negotiations directly. You'll have to sign the contract. You'll have to invoice them to get paid. With a big publisher or, I don't know, a full publisher like myself or one of the majors or whatever, we do all those things for you. So you basically don't need to do anything except deliver us your songs, so the splits, the audio, all that stuff. You deliver the assets and then we take care of everything else. Okay, so in a nutshell, if you sign up with a publisher, um, they are going to make sure that everything is taken care of to ensure that the uses of your money are correctly paid for and the money collected and accounted to you. So you're not out there trying to do all that of yourself, which sounds like an absolute nightmare. Uh, and more importantly, uh, that's time where you should be doing the things that make an artist and a songwriter a songwriter, right? Writing the music, getting creative, not doing these relatively 
menial administrative tasks? Yeah, I mean, they say that publishing is like a industry of pennies. It's a penny mm -hmm. business. So there's just like tons of different income sources and they're all earning small amounts of money. And when it comes together, then it ends up being something significant, but you have to go and collect it from all these different sources. And it's not necessarily straightforward. And um, that's where the expertise of a publisher really, you know, adds a lot of value. So with the, with the publishers, if they're sort of incentivized to, you know, make sure your music is, is used as much as possible because they're, they're giving you the advance and they're also like a co-publisher, right? Of, of whatever music that you write. So that it sort of behooves them to try to find, you know, whatever situations they can to make sure that song is profitable. Yeah. And, and just to expand on that, that's one thing I didn't say. Like, this is a very important point on a co-publishing deal or an administration deal. Regardless of whether or not you are being paid an advance, and an, as we've discussed on previous episodes, an advance is just an upfront payment of your royalties, which have not yet been earned of course, the hope is that your songs or on the, on the recorded music side, your, your tracks do earn that money, which the publisher or record label will collect. And then as per your agreement, it's been agreed that you will be paid a royalty. So it's not 100% of the money, of course, because the publisher or the record label will take their percentage and that's how they make their money. That's how they, you know, make bank. Uh, but the rest of that goes to you. And um, Emmy, let's talk about, you know, a typical um, administration agreement. Like what, what sort of a percentage is the publisher taking and what sort of a percentage is going to the songwriter, for example? I mean, I don't know if I can say specific rates, but I but guess... But it's typically lower, right? The percentage. Yeah. With a with an admin deal, you're usually, as a songwriter, getting the vast majority. Yeah. I think we... I think I'll go out on a limb to say that because I think it's standard across the board, but, you know, anywhere between um, 10 to 20 to 25% is going to the publishing administrator and then the rest is yours and that does depend on the different income streams um and just as a brief refresher we talked about this if you if you're not familiar with this go back and check our episode out about royalties but primarily when we're talking about publishing royalties we're talking about mechanical royalties which are the royalties paid every time there is a mechanical reproduction of your song i guess the, the easiest thing to think about is printing of a cd right it's a mechanical process you're copying that song for every cd you print so there's a mechanical royalty that is due to the songwriter and their or their publishing representative then there are performance royalties um, when the song is performed um, in public, you know, be it that the, the radio, um, even at a restaurant or, of course, live shows. And then the third big type of uh, publishing income is synchronization license income, which Emmy has already talked a little bit about. That, for example, is if someone wants to synchronize your song to visual or still images the best example is putting your music into a television program or a film so you know those are the uh, the main types of income uh, that are out there but it also as Emma just said it is a pennies business and there are actually many many different types of income streams for the publishing so it's complex and there are um, companies set up specifically to do a lot of this for you and the administration side so your rates, your royalty rates will vary depending on what um, type of income stream it is. But I think th 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 I think it's fair to say there are deals out there where they, they talk about the headline rate being a 90, 10, 90 in favor of the songwriter or an 80, 20 or what, or what, what the case may be. So, Emmy, let me ask you, when, you know, artists or songwriters are approaching you for, for these deals, do they typically know what type of deal they want already? Or is there like a, a coaching that's you're sort of doing to say, oh, well, you know, maybe if you guys aren't ready for the commitment of a co-pub, let's, you know, start with an admin. And then, you know, if there's options in the future, we can talk about that. Like, are you, are you coaching them or are they sort of 
you know, especially with the bigger bands you work with, know we're, we're interested in a co-pub? I mean, there's definitely a lot of coaching. I think a lot of people don't necessarily know what kind of deal they'd like to get into. Uh, but some people who have experience or well-established artists, maybe they already know they've done co-pub deals in the past. They don't really like see the need to give up ownership because they're very self-contained and maybe a publisher isn't going to add that much extra creative value. Um, so they just want to do an admin deal. I mean, I would say what people prefer, it's really a very personal thing. Um, I think it's just kind of what you're looking for in a deal, whether it's, um, I mean, some people think that if you do a co-pub deal that you will get more services. Um, mm -hmm. and I, for me, I don't think that's personally true, but I think traditionally that has been the case. Um, but yeah, I, I'm always, I want to do the kind of deal that the client is comfortable doing. I'm not interested in pressuring anybody into a certain kind of deal because it makes the company more money or, um, that's never a good situation. So, so in terms of, uh, in terms of, uh, artists on the roster, is every is every artist or every songwriter getting the same amount of attention when it comes to like facilitating like the syncs or creating opportunities to like exploit the songs that they're writing? I mean, is everybody get, no? I, I mean, I think like it's impossible to give right. like everybody the same amount of attention. Um, it really and the attention varies because maybe some people don't need that much attention hmm. because it's very like low maintenance and they deliver things and you know. They just, I don't know, like there, of course, some artists or whatever, or songwriters, they need more attention because they're more active um, and because they want us to be more involved. So we're setting up sessions. Other people, they just write their songs and deliver to us and we register them and then try and help market them. But they don't need, you know, we're not setting up sessions all the time. So we're not talking all the time. So they're getting less attention in that regard. Mm -hmm. Um well, look, I think that's a really useful um, backdrop of, you know, what a publisher does, uh, the different types of deals that are available, and even just knowing that as song a budding songwriter or a budding artist who writes their own songs, there is a different type of deal out there other than a record deal, and often that's useful for the purposes of, like, yeah, uh, you know... Um, the signing bonus, or the advance that we talked about, you know, that can be really useful um, for a lot of artists. And it's not just when you sign on, there's, you know, as um, at different points of the contract, there's uh, the obligation on the publisher to pay advances. And also they're doing all the good stuff, which we've talked about. They're going out, registering your compositions, making sure that all the data is in the right places to ensure that each use gets picked up the money gets collected and you get paid royalty streams, you know, w whether that's every six months, a lot of the time you get cut a check or, or maybe even more often than that. So that exists and that's a goal for a lot of people. And hopefully, you know, if you're listening and this has inspired you and you're like, I don't even want to be on the stage, but I, I love writing songs and, uh, you know, knowing that there are people like Emmy who will, be looking for that sort of talent and um you know often it's like these people songwriters get signed they're writing songs and then ARs people in Emmy's position have the um what's what's the word I'm looking for that they're equivalent at the record labels where it's like hey you've got this artist you're coming up with the second album have you heard this song and it's like the song pitching sort of side and maybe you get your song placed with like a huge pop artist and, you know, could change your life, you know? So it's, uh, that, that is uh, something to go at and it's useful to have that sort of a, a backdrop. I'm also conscious that a lot of our listeners and our viewers are not necessarily at the stage where that is in their immediate futures. Uh, but nevertheless, they write their own songs. They are out performing um and their music is on um spotify all the dsps etc etc are there any sort of immediate tips that someone who's writing their own songs and is in this sort of position you know 
if they don't know anything about anything about songwriting and rights, etc., what are the steps that they should be considering? Uh, and I'm, I'll give you a little nudge. I'm specifically thinking about PROs and the like. Yeah, I think uh, step one for any burgeoning songwriter is getting signed up with a PRO. Mm. Um, so in the US, you're primarily going to be signing up with ASCAP or BMI. Um, those are two, they're the two major players. There's CSAC and then there's um, Global Rights BMR, Management. Yeah. yeah, which unless you're, you know, Jay-Z or whatever, you're never going to be with. Yeah, uh, GMR. So I think it's fair it's for our listeners. CSAC and GMR are like invitation only. So um, again, you know, maybe at some point that's going to be appealing to you. But unlike those two, ASCAP and BMI, anybody can can join. Yep, they're not for profits. I believe both are free registration so you can go on their website and just fill out the application and sign up as a writer there are if you want to sign up also as a publisher which i think at the early stages you don't need to do that um because when you just sign up as a writer and you don't have a publishing entity you will also receive your publishing share straight to your writer share account so yeah and i think that two two things pro where that there's a lot of acronyms banded around in the music industry in general, mm-hmm. uh, never more so than in publishing. Mm-hmm. But um, PRO, uh, what does that stand for? It stands for Performing Rights Organization. Okay, so we're specifically talking back to the those royalties and the many different royalties. One of the main ones, uh, if not the the main one right now, is uh, the the performing royalties, the performing rights. So ASCAP and BMI. They're taking care of all that good stuff, but limited to or specifically performance royalties. So the, so yes, the PROs are created specifically for performance rights, performing rights registrations and stuff, but it's kind of more than that. Like even if you aren't just focused on collecting performing rights with those mechanical royalties or for sync and stuff, you need to have, you need to be signed up and you need to have your songs registered there. Cause that's like the global database where it's kind of, you know, the record of, and when I say record, like proof that you wrote the song, that this is the song title. These are the songwriters. This is who represents that work. So it's important regard like outside of just yeah. performance royalties. I guess it's like, that's almost like, you know, the, the Bible of information that everyone looks to. It's so mm-hmm. well documented, et cetera, that this is sort of like the, yeah. Like what, what everyone looks to if they're looking for a definitive Penny, you had a question? guide. Yes. I have a quick question. Amy, when, when artists and songwriters approach the, the publisher, right? Do you, a lot of songwriters do music on their own, but their music is not published. Basically, nobody records it yet or it's, it's done. Do you still find unpublished music when you sign someone? Or sometimes it's better when the songwriters on their own get their music placed and released. And that music, when let's say you, you get to place a song with a big artist or with a few big artists, gets a little more attention or you still focus on mostly the songwriting skill and the actual song and looking for the perfect song does that make a difference it's like when when a record label signs an artist before that we had development deals right when the artist doesn't matter if he was famous or not or had anything they take time developing but now it's a little bit different so how does that relate in publishing um so yes, I think we still will sign songwriters who don't necessarily like have those big cuts yet. Um, who, so there's two things like when you're, when you said unpublished, do you mean that they haven't like even registered their songs or like they've never had a publishing deal before? By, by unpublished, I mean unreleased. Okay. Um, okay. So you, I mean, obviously your music doesn't have to be released you know, we could definitely like, I could find somebody whose music that, I don't know, I got turned on to by somebody else, whatever. And you just see some potential there. And you, I mean, of course, like 
I guess at some point the music has to be released because otherwise you're not earning any money. Of course. So, and the goal is of course to earn royalties and, you know, for us to get paid for our work. So, um, that's the long-term goal. Um, do you have to have something released? Not necessarily. Is it, um, of course it's great when people already have some level of activity and then we can just like enhance that. Um, but certainly, you know, people will sign developing songwriters or producers because we see something in them and see like, okay, yeah, like I can work with that. I know, you know, how to develop your career, what artists or what kind of rooms you should be in and going from that. I would say we sign less of those because it takes a lot of time. Um, and it's a much longer road to seeing a return and stuff. But I think like at the end of the day, most A&R people like that's the passion projects. So you definitely do those kinds of things. You just have to make sure that you're like, you fully believe in it because it, t it takes time, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. That's a good question. That's a good question, Danny. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to the publishing game. I think it's fair to say, would uh, you, um, I just, I had a quick question based mm -hmm. off of that. Would you say that, um, the artists that you're working with, because um, you're working with a few big names, right? Is it, are you dealing with um, ca catalog a lot of the time or is it strictly new music when it comes to like the, like the co-publishing deals? Um, I don't know if there's, I would say there's more than the other. A lot of deals that we do, there's some catalog that comes into the deal that will also represent or sometimes their catalog is already represented by somebody else and we just do, we call it futures. Mm. So just working on the new material. It really, I would say one is not more common than the other. Mm. It just depends. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, in terms of one thing I wanted to talk about too was like facilitating the writing of a song and sort of the role that you play in that. So like things like writing camps and, and things like that. And, and you know, we, you had talked before and said that, you know, some writers slash artists need maybe more attention that, than others, but how do you, do you have like a network that you tap into when it comes to like writing camps? Like how does that, how does that happen? Um, I guess it really depends on like the focus of the camp mm -hmm. um, because I am working with a lot of artists, you know, they're on tour um, so it depends on people's schedules, but I think all opportunities, the most important thing is like what it needs creatively. So yeah, of course there are some people who I know can do like anything and are mostly available and maybe they're my go-tos, but, um, in general, I think it's always, it's always about whatever the, what the, what works for the creative opportunity. You can't just like push like five people for everything, mm. even if, if it doesn't make sense, you know, like, am I going to send somebody who own, who I know, like is only a producer, can't do any top line for a session be that needs only a top line or somebody who writes vocal and melody. No, just, you know, like you have to, you have to know what makes sense in the creative situation. Catered for the specific. Yeah. Yeah. Specific you can't show uh, what is it? A square peg in a round hole. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. And are you giving, you're giving active feedback during this time or how do, how do you approach like maybe critiquing like what's coming out of the camps or like the new music that they're, that they're giving you? Yeah. I mean, we definitely give creative feedback. I think the style and the amount of creative feedback differs on, on the person. I'm, to be honest, I'm not the type who like goes through a song and makes like a ton of notes and says, change this you know, note and verse and lyric, that's kind of not my style. I'm more like, okay, listen to it. Okay. You know, I think this, I like it. This part works. Maybe like, I wish there was a bridge or something sounds, you know, more cowbell. Yeah. More cowbell. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Things like that. I, I'm not, I know some people like give like really detailed notes. That's not really me, but we do that's give notes. I think that that brings uh, I do want to circle back um, to talk, you know, a little bit more about registrations and what sort of like uh, our, our listeners can be doing today to help themselves in the publishing uh, sphere. But continuing with this line of questioning, when we talk about 
writing sessions, etc. I think it's fairly well known now that especially in the the pop world, there are many, many different writers. I mean, I think it's up, you're up to an average of somewhere between seven and nine at I mean, least. I don't know. Different <laughs> That's writers. That's average? I hope not. I, I, I heard that if you look at the top, <laughs> if you look in the top, okay. uh, like the, the, the charts, mm-hmm. like it, it, it yeah. averaged out at somewhere between seven and nine uh, songwriters. So I guess the point is that like um, there's a lot of people potentially, and there are different ways as to how it can quickly add up to that. But in any case, if you're going into um, a writing session and there's three or four people in the room, um, I guess talk, talk to us about splits and you know how that works out, any sort of best practice for agreeing. When we talk about splits, we're just essentially saying like, hey, there was a song written today between the three or the four of us, um, who contributed what? How are we going to split the ownership? And it's, we're talking about percentages typically. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about splits and best practice, the do's and don'ts, and any sort of like uh, little nuggets of wisdom that you can impart on that. Um, so generally, we think of a song as out of a hundred percent or a hundred points. Um, so that's usually a good place to start. Uh, some people like to think of a song as 50% music, 50% vocal top line. That's not like a hard and fast rule. That's just kind of an op- overly simplified way to think of it. it. Is vocal top line, is that, is lyrics embodied in that? Yeah, lyrics, mm-hmm. melody, that side. Um, so a lot of people think of it that way. Um, you don't have to, though. A song can be carved up. A million, no, uh, at least a hundred different ways. (laughs) 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 So, um, and how you split that up depends on the situation and the comfort level. And it's, it's a tough question. People ask that a lot. Like, how should I split my publishing? Again, it's a very personal decision and you have to kind of, I mean, it's, I guess thinking of a 50, 50 is, you know, a good place to start. Um, but it doesn't have to. I, I say I'll say something about that because as a producer, I've been in a lot of sessions with different kind of artists, and I've realized that the contributions are really hard to measure when it comes down to making a good song. Mm. It could be that one line that makes the whole song, and somebody probably didn't ninety percent of the lyrics, but another person said the. Change the one word. Yeah, change the one word and makes it very relevant. And 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 I found that when when there's like a good communication between the the parts, it works. It works to to agree in advance to go into a room with the fact that whatever we do here is is going to be evenly split. And it helps, especially for for I'm I'm saying this for especially like the the younger generations and the people that is going into this business, you know, because, because you never know, you never know what your contribution is going to bring to the table at the end of the day. And it can make a big difference. And sometimes people, especially when you start working with bigger artists and bigger, um, how do you say, uh, companies and things like that, people minimize the work of someone that has not so much relevance because of their experience, but they probably brought everything that made the song special. So yeah, five for your percentage guys. Yeah. I think I've seen it a few different ways. Like personally, like with bands, it's like either maybe you have like core members of the band who write all the songs and like sort of everyone in the band participates more on the master side, or you, like you were saying, you agree in advance and everybody's going in understanding we're all getting equal splits on this song or, you know, you're yeah. always going to get 10%. You're always going to get whatever whatever the case may be. But I, I guess I have a question off of that. Have you ever had clients where, you know, they did not agree on the splits or things got sort of sour when it came to the publishing end? Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, splits, like I said before, it's a very personal decision at the end of the day, and it is really hard to... Um, you know, decide how much somebody's worth or deserves for their contributions. It's 
not an exact science. It's more, you know, there is a method to it, but it is very emotional at the same time. Um, so yeah, I mean, definitely people get bent out of shape um, and feel disrespected because they feel like they contributed more than, you know, what they're being offered and stuff. Uh, it's a difficult situation. And I think the best thing to do is if you can, if you're not agreeing in advance that you're going to split everything equally and you're going to figure it out afterwards, if there's not an understanding, then you really should kind of like take notes and um, afterwards and think about like, okay, I, you know, wrote this. It doesn't have to be like every line or like every note of the song, but to say like, okay, I wrote all the music for the verses and contributed this part to the chorus and maybe I added this to the bridge or whatever. And I think that's worth 35% of the song. So that if there is a kind of dispute, you can say like, this is what I, you know, and at the end of the day, it is very much a, he said, she said, mm -hmm. that's, that's just kind of the nature of it. But um, having some backup or proof that you can, you know, say what you contributed, but it, it's a negotiation at the end of the day. So if you mm -hmm. don't agree, if everybody doesn't agree, then it causes what we call a conflict. Um, and it, that has ramifications on how royalties are collected. Basically like the process just freezes. Um, or if the song doesn't get registered because you can't agree to who, you know, wrote what. Yeah. So that's a good point that in a negotiation, is just that it's a negotiation. You have to be flexible and in um, what's the thing about a good like a good a good negotiation is you know everyone's happy. The next best thing is no one's happy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely the case sometimes. So, uh, but yeah, so that's a really good tip about you know making notes and because I think it's fair to say that usually, especially in these songwriting sessions the song might not be finished or even written in that one session. It could, it could be written over the course of several different sessions, even with new people added, et cetera. Which so, I think is probably the case when you're talking about like if the song has seven or nine people, like yeah. it wasn't nine people in the room to start. No, it was three or four and then somebody, the song wasn't done and then somebody worked on it more with somebody else or somebody added a sample or whatever. Like, producers brought in yeah 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 i don't know if we talked about this in previous episodes but that kind of r reminds me of uh, kanye west in a way regardless of what you think about him personally i think he's infamous for like you know being generous with his splits so like if you brought everybody their drinks during a session he'll give you like one percent or something like that yeah. i haven't heard that but that's great. I want to deliver his coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'd That'd say be he'd nice. be famous. I'd be famous. Because I guess the rationale that. is whatever you're, you're essentially like a muse, like whatever you did to inspire this song, you like, you deserve credit for. I can imagine Kanye coming up with that. Yeah. I like yeah, it. Yeah. I like it. Um, I guess when you have so much money, you can. Right. When you yeah. don't have any money or struggling <laughs> bank coming up, you start getting real petty with those splits. You know? <laughs> and I feel like, you know, uh, maybe Which I'm, is most of the cases. <laughs> yeah. I think it gets maybe more complicated when you have like different songwriters who don't really know each other. They're just in there for that session. But I feel like with a band, um, it can either go like everybody's sort of on the same page or there's like, you know, there's like emotions in the band that haven't really been talked through yet. And that sort of manifests when it comes to like splits and songwriting and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, man, you're so right. We've talked about this before. Everything that involves money, like, yeah. you know, we shy away from these difficult conversations. It's like human nature, but it's the same advice again. You got to be upfront. You got to address it head on and you got to have these awkward conversations because everyone you know there is no set formula and people have different approaches and if you are the only songwriter in the band and you're coming like that's a good example and you're coming with the the, the thing mostly baked you know you, I, you can just imagine that you feel like you've got a fairly good case that 100 percent of the publishing royalties should be coming to you however you know it's that old thing you need the band um you i know, played the cowbell yeah, I get give me thirty well, percent. You know? Well, also I, because I was, like I, in the live setting, right? Like yeah, they're going to be playing. They're maybe you wrote the song, but they're performing it on the record. That's them playing the guitar and the drums, and then they're playing it live. And 
it's not the band without everybody. It's not the band without everyone. That's what you've got to realize. It's like, you know, sometimes it's like to get this thing off the ground and to keep this whole thing together, you know, maybe there there's a price there that's worth it, you know, to give away. And I think that's why a lot of, there's, there are a lot of bands who famously split the publishing equally, even though, you know, the, the songwriting is definitely, you know, by one or... The Beatles, uh, Lennon McCartney had like a partnership, right, where they even... If one would wrote, write a song and the other would write a song, they would all be like Lennon McCartney. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think yeah. I've heard that before. I forget mm -hmm. that story, but yeah, and it's. I think it's. It's, you know, when you're listening to a song, this is where it gets complicated, right? I think people who write melodies and people who write lyrics need to be respected, and you know, they because they that is the song at the end of the day. But it's also like you imagine just your one of your favorite songs and like that riff that really like catches you or that that drum beat that like really really makes a song on that break and then that's i think you know that's kind of where it gets complicated because you're you know you may love the bridge or whatever but like whatever that one part is that sort of keeps you in the song is also you could argue as equally relevant you know yeah well i th i think uh, a lot of songwriters would disagree with what you just said that yeah. the lyrics and the melody are the song um, because there are certainly a lot of amazing instrumental mm -hmm. songs and compositions. Maybe that's the part of the song that, you know, you can immediately recall, but there are lots of elements um, of songs where it's not, it's not just a vocal melodic hook. There could be rhythmic hooks. Yeah, yeah that's what there I'm saying. Be, yeah. yeah, lots of production details that really like make the song. Mm -hmm. Like it's interesting I forget, there's like a Bruno Mars song that came out a few years ago. And like, there's just this little production element that's really kind of like the hook and like it gets stuck in your head. Of course, I can't remember what it's called. But um, <laughs> like, I felt like that's what made the song. Yeah, like the vocal hook and stuff is cool, but it's, the song is definitely not just. Are you talking about Uptown Funk maybe? I feel like it was... Maybe, I, I think it was after that. I think it was after that we'll one. Have to get that, we'll have to get that cleared. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, can I was you, very short. Can you, very short well, I, you know, it's like a, a question. Can you copyright a groove? Is that something you can copyright? You know, it's like Marvin Gaye's estate would say yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, oh, man. <laughs> let's, not, let's not even get started on that. But look, I'm conscious of the, the time. Uh, I feel like we could talk for another hour here at least. Mm -hmm. So it's super uh, grateful and for your time. Very generous. One more round of applause. But, uh, but before I do want to, I don't oh, want to, nah. no, I please, I, I want to circle back to the, the sort of things that oh, yes. um, I did. I did promise the listeners I would do this. So sign up with the PRO be it ASCAP or BMI, I think it's fair to say that... Whatever your local it's society a, It's is. a personal choice. Okay, so we're, uh, we've, lost the, we've, lost the, we've lost the video, but that actually means we can continue with the audio without so much of a rush. So, um, But yeah, whoever your local society is, it's ASCAP or BMI in, in the States, but you know, if you're in the UK, it's going to be PRS, um, and there's wherever you are, your local most, territory will have one. Most other countries don't have of like choices there's generally just, just one. one yeah yeah mm -hmm. um and that's going to take care of the performance royalty side of things um i know specifically there's a tip and not a lot of people do this but if they're performing live um uh, no matter what level and they're you know performing at venues across the city that they're in anything they should do after they before or after they've played yep so at, at least in the states and i'm not sure if all the international pros have the same setup but there are um ascap ascap on stage and bmi live um and that's after you've registered your songs like you're signed up with those societies you've registered your copyrights then anytime you play a show or let's say if you're a songwriter and you know some other artist has performed your song live, you then go ahead and register the show and the set list um, so that the PRO can pay you the live performance income on that because they know those songs were actually performed. Otherwise, if you don't do things like that, um, the societies don't necessarily know who played those shows or what songs were played. Mm -hmm. And then there's this whole like black box income stuff, which is a whole nother 
uh, story, but yeah, you, you as a songwriter need to go ahead and make these registrations. Cause actually, even if you have a publisher, unless your tour, um, or your performances are in the top two or 300 tours of the year, the publishers cannot make these registrations for you. We can only collect or we can only register set lists for those top earning tours as opposed in, this is just the U S outside of the U S it's different. But, um, in the U S if you're just like playing a local club, you're doing club shows like that kind of stuff, you, the songwriter need to go on and make the registrations yourself. That um, is a top tip because that is money back in your pocket. And it can be, you know, it's like, as we say, it's a pennies game, but the, all this money adds up over time. So it's your, it's your entitled to it. Make your registrations. Most songwriters call it mailbox money. Love that. Love the mailbox yeah, you, money. Mailbox money means like you get a check every four to six months for a couple hundred bucks or a couple thousand bucks or whatever. And I don't know, you buy Christmas presents or whatever. Like it's maybe not paying your bills, but you look forward to getting that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely something you should be doing. And then this would be a topic we could talk at length about. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to do it on this episode. However, um, the mechanical uh, mechanical royalties, okay, like in the digital era and with the uh, Music Modernization Act that's just been passed and has now come into the force, we have uh, the Mechanical Licensing Collective. I think it's fair to say that everyone should go out and register um, with the Mechanical Licensing Collective. I think it's just www.themlc.com. Yes, that once you're already set up with a PRO and you made registrations and stuff, then also sign up with the MLC. Yeah, and that way you will get your mechanical royalties from the streaming and download sites. And uh, we will talk about that in more detail because that really is um, like an interesting topic and very much related to publishing. So, um, but uh, those are a couple of tips that people can go out and just make sure they're doing right away and get that stuff sorted so um and i also recommend once you're signed up and you're starting to release music and all that um registering your copyrights in advance of them being released mm. that's if you wait till afterwards you could miss uh royalty distributions and people don't know where to pay and things like that so you could lose royalties if you're registering afterwards there is a small window or you know there is a window of time where you can collect back royalties but mm -hmm. you're better off doing it in advance so you don't have to collect back royalties it's okay you know all right well look th those are i want to say one quick thing before we go because i'm very curious amy did, when you when you started into this world of royal and i mean i was gonna say royalties publishing what brought you into this field like what like what's the story right there. I'm very curious because I feel like for musicians and for for some writers, a lot of times we we do this because we're musicians, right? But then sometimes we change into like the business side of things. So I want to know like what brought you into like publishing. What's your publishing? quick story for you? Quick. <laughs> this will be a quick okay. a quick outro. Quick. <laughs> <laughs> quick outro, quick outro. Uh, so publishing, I honestly fell into it. Like I was really into the live side um, and I went to college for music industry because I always loved music, but I didn't want to be a performer. I wasn't a songwriter, but just like, I just love music as a fan um, and loved, loved going to concerts and putting on shows in, in college. That's what I was involved with, the concert board and we booked shows. And so I thought I wanted to do concert promotion, but you know, when you graduate college, you need a job and I got a job at a music publishing company. Um, so I really just kind of fell into it. But then, I mean, what is it? I don't know, it's been like 14 years now. So mm. um, it wasn't like the path that I thought I was going on, but I realized that when I, I mean, yeah, I knew what publishing was, but I didn't really understand the business. But as I got into it, I realized how important publishing really is and how we get to be as equally as creative and as involved as a record label A&R. You know, I think they get all the shine, um, but we get to do a lot as well. And the nice thing too, as a publisher is that like, I'm not tied to working with just artists from 
one label. I get to work with every label. Everybody. Yeah, I'm like Switzerland. So we're like neutral, <laughs> we sign anywhere. Um, so yeah, it was not what I thought I was going to do, but eventually fell in love with. That's awesome. It's amazing. Thank amazing. you. Good to know that there's, um, you know, that that's uh, an opportunity. If you're not a songwriter, but you want to work in that, Field, then you know maybe you could follow in Emmy's footsteps and DM Emmy your resume. Uh, <laughs> you'll be signing the uh, the stars of of tomorrow. So, yes, um, yes. But listen, Emmy, uh, thanks so much. You've been very generous with your time, and uh, I fully appreciate it. And I hope a lot of our listeners and viewers can take some fantastic pearls of wisdom that you've been able to share with us, and um, and just get inspired that's what we're here to do um so tim why don't you remind everyone about the social media details yes yes thanks again for listening to the record shepherds you can listen to us where all podcasts are published published uh follow us on instagram facebook youtube and email us at the record shepherds at gmail.com if you have any questions yeah and uh you know do all that stuff follow us along subscribe to us and uh and please write in um comment whatever you want if you if there's specific topics that you'd like us uh to cover and uh, if you live in the New York area or you're going to be swinging by and you have anything that you'd like to discuss it'd be great to hear from you but um until then uh keep tuning in to the episodes of the record shepherds and remember to follow the guidance of the shepherds don't be the sheep be, be the, the goat, goat. Woo. thank you